Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I am Brian Yeager. I'm glad that you've tuned in for our study today. Here's what we're going to do for now and a while going forward. The Sunday podcast is going to be a study through 1 Peter. We are, at times, going to cover one verse. At other times, maybe two or three, maybe four or five. I'm not sure going forward. But we're going to jump in and do some, some depth into looking at what's written in this letter and, and do some thinking and make some applications. And I hope you're really going to enjoy this series and that you're going to follow it from beginning to end. So we're going to start off and we're going to be just thinking in general at 1 Peter 1, 1. Why, why is Peter writing a letter? Well, you know, when Jesus was in this world, on this earth, he was teaching. But then, as anybody I've ever met knows, he died and was buried and risen on the third day and then ascended back into heaven. And in his stead, or in his place, he sent out men to teach and convert and teach some more. And those men were apostles. In Matthew chapter 28, before Jesus ascended into heaven, verses 16 through 20, and at this particular time, there's 11, because Judas had hung himself, Matthias has not yet been appointed as an apostle, which happens in the first chapter of the book of Acts, after Jesus is ascended into heaven. Paul is not yet an apostle, which that begins with his conversion in Acts 9. At this time, Acts 28, 16 through 20, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee in a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's kind of notable. Don't you think that stands out? Back to the text. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you even unto the end of the world. We get specifics uh, in other texts. For example, in Luke chapter 24, where Jesus is talking to the disciples, uh, verse 44 and following says, He said unto them, the, the apostles, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. If you were to keep reading through the rest of this chapter, you would then want to connect Acts chapters 1 and 2, and you would see that the apostles did exactly as Jesus stated to them. They began at Jerusalem, and they received the Spirit in full, and they began preaching, 
repentance and remission of sins uh, in Jerusalem. And they did just as the commission was, teaching and baptizing. So all of those scriptures come together and they show you that. But what we're talking about with 1 Peter is not the go into the world, preach, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're more so focusing on the work that came after. The work of that we read about in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We see that this teaching needed, needed to occur after conversion and needed to continue after conversion. It's important to note at this point that the teaching done by the apostles was, as it is now, the standard. When Jesus sent out the apostles, before he even sent them to the whole world, before the Matthew 28 text, in Matthew 10, he sent them to preach among the lost children of Israel. Matthew 10, 40 says, He that receiveth you, speaking contextually to the apostles, receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. So as ambassadors, here is a role that was unique to the apostles, not to evangelists, uh, not to people of today, but to the apostles. They were ambassadors. They spake in the place of Christ. You know, Paul in Ephesians 6.20 said, For which I'm an ambassador in bonds, because he was in prison at the time, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. He represented the words of Christ. That's When Jesus said, He that receiveth you receiveth me, they had that authority. Thus, in Acts 2, after they were told to repent and be baptized and, and, and many other words were taught in them, Acts 2.38, Acts 2.40, then they gladly received the word and were added unto them about, were baptized and added unto them about 3,000 souls. In Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The apostles' words, their teaching, was the standard like it is now. In fact, Jude later wrote in verse 17 of his one-chapter letter, but, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Consistency shows their words are, were the standard. But their words were not their own. In John, the 14th chapter, in, in this time period, Jesus is nearing the end of his physical life on earth. And he is in the last week, actually, of his life at the time John is writing. John gives us a pretty good scope, you know, from uh, John 13 forward of the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus is talking to his apostles, John 14, 22 through 26. Jesus, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, so not the betrayer, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and will come unto him, and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. The things, the things have I spoken to you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, 
Whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said unto you. So the apostles were promised the Holy Spirit coming to guide them, as John 16, 13 says, into all truth. He's going to bring to remembrance and continue to teach them. So that later, when the apostles are teaching, like when Paul wrote the church in Corinth, in a context about spiritual gifts, which is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, Paul says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. The words of the apostles were the words of Christ. They were the ambassadors. They were the spokesmen speaking in his place. Those words are the commandments of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy writing to the saints in Thessalonica says, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that is, you've received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. So there we can see their words are not their own. So let's let's put together some quick points, something for you to realize. And by the way, not just when you're reading First uh, Peter, but when you're reading the words of the apostles, uh, the inspired words uh, that are in letters and, and the things that are recorded that they taught, so forth and so on, you're reading commandments of the Lord. Okay, so First Peter, written by Peter, a man, yes, but guided by the Spirit, and not just any man being guided by the Spirit, but an apostle that has authority, that has the authority to be an ambassador for Christ, that when you receive him, you're receiving the Lord, not speaking his own words, but that which the Holy Ghost taught. So Peter is writing the words of the Lord. He's writing them because of the instruction to the apostles to, to continue teaching after people's conversion, not just convert them and then stick them out there to live in the world as Christians with no guidance, but to keep on teaching those individuals. Now, the apostles could not be in every place at all times. So it was essential that they communicated in other ways, such as by writing letters. We see when Paul was minded to come to Corinth and he couldn't, and there's a lot of scriptures we could use here, but just for the sake of the point, 2 Corinthians 13, 1 and 2, Paul said, this is the third time that I'm coming to you. So he's been trying to come, but he hasn't been able. He says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. So there's the present in persons that he desired. But he says, I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time and being absent now, I write them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. So being absent, it was of a necessity that the apostles communicated some way in the continuation of the teaching. So writing was one of those methods, and that wasn't always effective. You know, when you look at the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10.10, 10, their mindset towards Paul was, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. So sometimes they took those letters, and they didn't have the impact 
that you would want that teaching to have. Uh, so, of course, letters weren't necessarily the most effective way to teaching, and that's not denied. You know, one of the problems in Corinth and 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen through 34 is they'd taken the Lord's Supper, they turned it into a common meal, and not just that, but they even had people that set themselves up to be preeminent among their other brethren, some eating uh, in abundance, others not eating, so a lot of problems. So Paul, just to illustrate that writing is not necessarily the most effective means by which teaching occurs, bodily presence is much more effective. He said in that context, 1 Corinthians eleven thirty four, and if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together in condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. Now, like we talked about with 2 Corinthians, he obviously didn't make it. He had to keep writing, but that's not the most effective thing. John, at the end of 2 John and 3 John, first I will give you 2 John 12 and 13, one chapter book. John writes, having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. Then uh, 3 John, verses 13 and 14, I had many things to write, but I'm not with ink and pen writing thee, but I trust I shall shortly see thee, and when and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to thee, our friends salute thee, greet thy friends by name. So you can see, whether it was Paul or John, the desire was to come in person. Now, aside from writing, the apostles were also able to send teachers, evangelists, to teach. In fact, a method that is employed to this very day, you know, a method that is the standard that began that where there were no apostles, and we know there are no apostles today, there were men that took what the apostles taught and taught those to other people. Like Timothy, who in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, it, it was said to him by the apostle Paul, the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same. Commit thou the faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So evangelists took what they were taught by say, the Apostle Paul, and went and communicated that to others. Using Paul and Timothy just as a, as, as a consistent process of thought here, in 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul said to the Corinthians, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, faith in the Lord, who shall bring you in remembrance of my ways, which being Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. See, Timothy wasn't bringing a new message. He was bringing what Paul had already taught. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3 through 7, Paul says to Timothy, As I bethought, besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge them that they teach no other doctrine. Now they give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is the faith. So do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So we can see that evangelists were, were sent, like Timothy, to teach or to cease others from teaching other things. And Titus. It, Titus is told by Paul, Titus being an evangelist, 
Titus 1.5, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I appointed thee. So an evangelist continues in teaching the apostles' doctrine, which was and is the doctrine of Christ. Now, you know, one great thing that we can take away from this, an application of thought that we can take away from this, is a thankfulness that the apostles were not able to be bodily present at all times in every place so that we might have the advantage of these letters that are written to other Christians so that we may read them and through reading them and studying them, learn how we can take what was written to other people and make applications in our lives that would be suitable to this day wherein we might please God as they were expected to please God. In fact, this is one point made in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 to a degree where it says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So as we study 1 Peter or any other book, let's be mindful that these things that are written to others fully equip us unto all good works. And th thus we began with why it was written. It was written because Peter couldn't be among all of them. He couldn't teach them all. He wasn't able to be present in multiple places at all times, and there weren't enough apostles to continue going about and teaching all the people. So let's get into our text. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We are going to break this verse down, and we're going to talk about it. And we're going to start right away with Peter being an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, we can look at different texts uh, and see that Peter is appointed an apostle. I'm going to give you some references in case you are in the point where you're taking some notes, but I'm only going to read one of the references that I'm going to give you. So we could look at Matthew chapter 10, 1 through 4, which I won't read, or we could take Mark into account and read Mark chapter 3, 13 through 19, and we could see there Peter is clearly made an apostle, or what we are going to read from is Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16, where the text says, It came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. He is obviously Jesus. When it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve. Now, I'm reading from this account because this is very clear, okay? He had many disciples, but out of those disciples, he chose 12, all right? So the text goes on, whom also he named apostles, Simon, whom also he named Peter. So here is Peter that we're reading the words that he's written as an apostle. The text continues, Andrew, his brother. That gives us clarity because when we study about uh, Peter, we learn that he has a brother named Andrew. James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon called Zealots, Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which was also the traitor. So we have some clarity there. Peter is definitely an apostle. Let's talk about how it all began. 
Now, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get different kinds of details about things. For example, John gives us some foresight, some information that we don't pick up in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, like the fact that Peter had met Jesus before he was called to be a disciple of men or a fisher of men. And John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42 says, Again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and said to them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. I'm just going to stop here for a second. If you're hearing some noise, at the time I'm recording this, uh, my youngest son Trey has pulled into the driveway, and I'm recording in the garage, and I don't know what it sounds like to you on the recording, but to me, uh, it's a lot of humming uh, in my ear. I hope that's not being picked up too badly on the recording. If it is, hopefully he'll not be a knucklehead and sit in his car for 30 minutes in the driveway. I don't know why he would do that. Hopefully he will shut off his car in a reasonable amount of time. There it is. It got shut off. We're good. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to continue reading. It says, one of the two which heard John speak followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, so he breaks apart, goes and gets Peter, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. You might want to remember that because here in just a little bit, we're going to get into the fact that Peter's name is also Cephas, which kind of bears some meaning to it uh, when we're reading other scriptures and we come across that name. Whether we're talking about Simon or we're talking about Peter or we're talking about Cephas, we're talking about the same individual. So here is, is the introduction. As far as we have recorded, that would be the first introduction that Peter had with Jesus. From there, we have three accounts of when Jesus calls Peter into the work as a disciple. And I think it's kind of relevant, uh, though it, it's a little time-consuming, but I, you know, this is a study. We're not trying to rush, right? Uh, where Peter went from being a fisherman to being a disciple of Christ. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have accounts of this. And the thing is, is we get some more details in the different accounts. So I think it's great and profitable to our study if we take a look at all three. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, says, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. See, so here you get some generalization. 
Luke's going to give us more specifics. But before we get to Luke, let's look at Mark's account. In Mark 1, 16 through 20, Now, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net in the sea, where they were fishers. He said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And when he gone a little further, thence he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the ship, mending their nets. And straightway he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. So, you know, see, so you get... You get a lot of the same information, but a little bit more. There were also other people there that were working, uh, you know, on the on the boats, servants. Uh, so they didn't just necessarily, as far as we can see, uh, James and John didn't just leave their father to take care of all this work by himself. So that just shows us there's more details than we got in Matthew's account, and likely more details than we will get and all the accounts, because not everything is recorded breath by breath by breath the way they occurred. Luke 5, 1 through 11 gives us even more detail. It says, and it came to pass, that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake Genesaret. And, you know, if you do a little bit of a word study, see a Galilee. Saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. He entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. See, much more detail already, right? He sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, Lodge out into the deep, let down your nets for a draught. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when, they had, and when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to seek. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For those of you that like to study the Old Testament, oh, boy, does this kind of bring to remembrance some things in Isaiah chapter 6 with how Isaiah felt when he saw the heavenly vision. Back to this text. He says, O Lord, for he was astonished, and all that were with him at the drought of the fishes which were taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So see, you get some detail here. It wasn't like Jesus just casually walked by James and John and said, come on, let's go. And they're like, all right, let's book it. We don't know who this guy is, but we'll follow him anyway. No, they've got some, some sight here of what's going on. Well, they were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. So you get some detail, right, when you look at Luke's account that isn't recorded in Matthew and Mark's account. And some of those details are quite significant when we think about Peter and when we think about some of his credibility as a teacher and other things that we're going to talk about as we go through this epistle. He abandoned everything to follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he, he was truly humbled here in this account. We get to see some things there that give us some insight as we go forward. Now, Peter was from Bethsaida. We learned that in John 144. Uh, and, and, and we can see, which was a little further than what we read in John 1, where Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. We know from texts that Peter was married in Matthew 8, 14, when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of fever. Paul, when he was writing about the liberties 
awarded to those that teach the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 9, 5, he said, Have we not power, meaning authority, to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as the other apostles, as the brethren Lord, and Cephas? See, it's kind of important that you know Cephas is Peter there, right? Peter was married. Matthew 8, 14 and 1 Corinthians 9, 5 give us that information. So think about this. Peter leaves his homeland, his area. He has a wife. All of that, when, it's, when, when, when we read in Luke 5, 11, they forsook all and followed him. That's a lot, okay? When we look at Peter and we think about his relationship with our Lord, there were times where Peter was included with two others, where there was moments of intimacy that the other apostles did not experience in person. Let me give you, let me give you a few of these. In Matthew chapter 17, and, and I'll not give you every account uh, in this case, we, we will just kind of take some time and and uh, do do our study here of of not not to take too much time. How about that? In Matthew 17, 1 through 9, it says, After six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, bringing them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. His face did shine as the sun, and raiment was white as the light. Behold, there appeared in them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, and who I am well pleased, hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision of no man till the Son of Man be risen again from the dead. Wow, to think Peter is here during this remarkable situation, during this wonderful event to witness our Lord transfigured with Moses and Elijah. That's amazing. That's wonderful. And him as an eyewitness of this event. When we get into 2 Peter, that's going to come into our study time, and it's going to be a little ways off, uh, but when we get into Second uh, Peter, Paul speaks, or I mean, sorry, Paul, wow, Paul didn't write Second Peter. Peter speaks of this event as evidence. He says in Second Peter 1.16, we have not followed cunningly devised fables when made, made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice in him from the excellency of glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter does later make reference to this transfiguration. Think about how important it was that he was one of the three there for that and, and how it bears for us as evidence that this is an eyewitness that God the Father spoke from heaven to hear Jesus and eyewitnesses of that authority being given. Another account, Mark 14, where Peter is again in an intimate moment. 
Mark 14, 32 through 42. They came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he take with them Peter and James and John, began to be sore amazed and be very heavy. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible that he take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but what thou will. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, singles him out, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst thou not watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they that what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto him, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up. Let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. So Peter is at this moment where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane to see our Lord in this moment where our Lord is having a hard time in the flesh. Another account in Luke 8, verses 49 through 56. Uh, While he, being Jesus, yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. And this text really goes back I'm trying to shorten up a little bit, where in verse 40 and 41, a man named Darius came and, and wanted Jesus to heal his daughter. So back to the section that we are uh, reading from. When Jesus heard it, he answered and said, saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John. Do you see this? These three men in these moments, they're pulled apart from the rest of the apostles. And the father and the mother of the maiden, and all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. He put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway and commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Think about this. Peter witnessed these things, being one of three, Peter, James, and John. They got to witness these things. They were in intimate moments that others didn't have. Now listen, when we're talking about Peter's history, it's not all wonderful. And this makes him a marvelous teacher of our Lord's word. And, and it's not hidden from us. One of the evidences that I love about the Bible that I just don't hear people talk about is that our Lord does not try to present everything with rose-tinted glasses. He doesn't speak of his apostles as though they were always supermen. Remember what we read in Matthew 28, 16? And I said, think about that, or whatever it was. I said something along that lines. Uh, it's remarkable. He, he has recorded in his word that they doubted. Some of them doubted. Well, when we look at Peter, Peter had some notable failures. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 32, straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, 
he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, and walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter answered and said, here, here, here's bold Peter, right? Lord, if it be thou, bid me to come unto thee on the water. Well, that, that right there is a failure, if it's you, right? He said, come. Well, when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But, boy, there's that word, but. When he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and sent him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. So Peter, he's bold. Let me get out there on the water. If it's you, let me get out there on the water. Okay, but then he looks around and the boy sinks. Here's another failure of Peter. Mark 8, 31 through 38. You know, this is a failure of Peter, but I want you, while we're looking at this, to think about how many men would quit, would walk away right here. Mark 8, 31 through 38. He began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders of the chief priests, scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that, that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Boy, boom. You know, you want to knock on your head right here. Hey, Peter, who do you think you're talking to, right? But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Now, ladies and gentlemen, what I'm about to read to you, this might be one of the most insulting things. It, it, in my studies of the Bible, there's a lot of strong language, there's a lot of things said. This right here, this would be hard to hear from anybody, especially from the Lord. He says, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his fathers with the holy angels. Now listen, how many people would have quit after Jesus called him Satan? Because Peter forsook everything to follow Jesus. How many people would look back at Jesus and be like, dude, I walked away from my family, my business. By the way, when I walked away from my fishing business, you had just made it so it was abundantly successful. The boat was about to sink. I had so many fish. I was about to be rich from that catch. I followed, and you're calling me Satan. That's the way a lot of people would be, wouldn't it? What's it say of Peter that he continued on? says a lot, doesn't it? Here's another failure. Mark 14, 27 through 31. Jesus said to them, that is his disciples, 
All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before thee to Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Here, here again, Peter's mouth just getting ahead of him. Listen, Jesus told you you're going to do it. Why are you not believing him, right? Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, said they all. Man, they just, ugh, failure. I, you don't even have to read on. They've already failed. Jesus said it. That makes it fact. Hmm. It says a lot of our Lord that he forbeared with them. Uh, you know, if a lot of men were the Lord, he would have said, just leave now. If you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell, what I'm telling you, you guys are terrible. You suck. Just leave. Thankfully, our Lord is forbearing or we wouldn't be talking about First Peter today. And Peter wouldn't have grown to be the man, the apostle, the elder that he was. Well, later in this text, later in this text, Mark 14, 66 through 72. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou was also with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not. Neither understand I what thou sayest. Hey, how do you forget this this quick, right? You know, it's amazing what fear does to people. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. So they recognized, you're a Galilean. You're with Jesus from Galilee. What else would you be doing here, right? But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew. Peter called to mind the words what Jesus said to him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Failure, Peter. Luke 24, the resurrection of Christ. 1 through 12. Upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their face to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here. But is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day raise again. And they remembered his words. And returned from the sepulchre, and told all these things unto the eleven, and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Jonah, Mary the mother of James, and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Wow. That's just hard to read, isn't it? That's hard for me to read. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher, stooped down, 
beheld the linen clothes laid by themselves and depart, departed, wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Failure, Peter. John 13, 6-9. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter said, and this is context, Jesus watching the disciples' feet. Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said to him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. I mean, again, here, Peter, 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 Peter. This is Jesus you're talking to. You're telling him no. Whew. Jesus answered him. Jesus answered him. If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Oof. How, how difficult these things are. And there's others. You know, in John 18, when Peter draws his sword, you know, he's already been told, get thee behind me, Satan, right? John 18, Peter drew his sword, smote the high priest's servant. John 18, 1 through 11 is the whole context. He cuts off his right ear. Servant's name's Malchus. You know what Jesus said to Peter in John 18, 11? Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Peter, what are you doing, dude? You've been called Satan because you've tried to stand in the way of Jesus going to the cross. Here you are again. Oh, and by the way, after this, he denies Jesus three times, right? So he's also inconsistent. Has faith enough to draw a sword in one instance while Jesus is with him. When Jesus is not, his faith failed. Well, after Peter does courageous things, stands and preaches the gospel, gets beaten and arrested and put in prison. We ought to obey God rather than men, Acts 5, 29. You know what he does later because of fear? Galatians 2, 11 through 14. When Peter was come to Antioch, I, because Paul is writing this, this is Paul, withstood him to the face because he was to blame. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas was also carried away with their dissimulation. When I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I sent unto Peter before them all, Thou being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, not as the Jews. Why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So this list of failures is huge. Peter that's writing this epistle he knows failure. He also knows, as we're going to talk about, getting up and going on. I'll, I'll hold that point for a moment. I want to give you something else. Something else to think about. Peter was not always confident. He might step out on water. He might speak up when no one else does. He might be the lead in the preaching of the gospel when all the apostles are together. But there are times where there's concerns, like Matthew 19, 27 to 30. After the rich young ruler is rebuked by Jesus, then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Do you see that? Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, that they which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit 
and the throne of his glory. You shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. There's some concern there on Peter's head. Now with all of that, why is Peter in play? Why is he writing a letter? Why is a man with so many failures an apostle? You know why? Because Jesus knows things you don't and I don't. Jesus knew what was in Simon Peter. In Luke 22, 31-34, Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, that's a huge statement too, by the way. He's not yet converted, right? All that little faith, that continues to be a problem, like we looked at in his failures. He says, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Our Lord knew that Peter was a leader of men. Now, he wasn't in every instance, at all time, in every case, that man of strength. But Jesus knew what he was capable of. In John 21, 15 through 19, when they had died, Jesus said, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said the third time, lovest thou me? And he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou was young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee where thou wouldest not. This spake he, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had thus spoken, he saith unto him, Follow me. Jesus knew what's in man. John 2, 24 and 25, Jesus did not commend himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any man should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. He knew Peter was a leader of men. Furthermore, Peter serves as a great example, evidence that men can fail, repent, and turn to God. You know, the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 33, 14 through 16, again, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. If he turn from his sin, do that which is lawful and right. If the wicked restore the pledge and give it again that he rob, walk in the statue of life without committing iniquity, he shall surely live, he shall not die. None of his sins that he hath committed shall be mentioned unto him. He hath done that which is lawful and right. He shall surely live. Repentance is possible. From Peter, we see that men can repent, that men can turn to God and do works meet for repentance. That language that we see that Paul used in Acts 26, 20, but showed them first to Damascus, and Jerusalem throughout all the coast of Judea and the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works me for repentance. We can also see that a Christian can sin, can err, 
can fall away, albeit however short or long, and turn back to the Lord. In James 5, 19, 20, Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. It is not Peter's failures that made him an elder. It is Peter's getting up and going forward and being a new man that turned him into an elder. It is the 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Peter went from the denying our Lord to a perfect man because the blood of Christ is able to wash away sins, Revelation 1.5. We see in Proverbs 24 and verse 16, a just man falleth seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. He got up. He got up, folks. That's what made him a great leader. Not that he had always had it. People, people might look at the life of the Apostle Paul and say he's an unshakable man. And they might look at Peter and say, but Peter was shaken. Hey, but Peter got up. He continued on. He is a display of the grace and mercy and long-suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter got up. So when we're reading this epistle, it is written from Peter, the Apostle the man of many failures, yet a man of true, genuine repentance. Now, when we're looking at the scriptures. We've seen him called Cephas. We've seen him called uh, Simon, like Mark 3.16, Simon, he surnamed Peter. So just remember, when we're studying through the New Testament, like we read in John 1.42, Cephas, you're, you're, you're talking about Peter. But I want you to think about the way Peter was looked at, not as a failure, you know, in the context where Paul talks about his rebuke of Peter, if you back up a few verses to Galatians 2.9, it says, When James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave to me Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go into the heathen, and they under the circumcision. Peter, along with James and John, remember, they're the three in those intimate moments with Jesus. They were pillars in the body of Christ in the first century. So among the apostles, they kind of stood higher. Peter, James, John, Paul, they're kind of the Mount Rushmore, aren't they? Yeah. Aside from Peter and his apostleship and all the relevant information that we just looked to that I hope you'll keep in mind as we read his words, because Who's writing them has some relevance. He's an apostle. He's a man of understanding. We, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about how he's a great high priest because he knows what temptation is, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Look at Peter. Peter knows what failure looks like. It's great to read words inspired from him. Well, who's he writing to? He's writing to the strangers scattered. Strangers, meaning people that were aliens, residents, for foreigners. That's not a bad thing. It's not an indictment on their faithfulness. They had been scattered to places where they were not citizens. In this regard, it should draw to your mind, if you're familiar with the, the chapter of faith in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 13, where it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should 
after receiving an inheritance, obeyed and went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good of dead so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. There are some people that might say, you need to be part of your local community. You need to fit into your local community. These Christians were not. Because of persecution, they're scattered. Their physical state as strangers did not diminish their ability to be Christians or to be examples as Christians. Their physical states of being strangers is also going to be used in a spiritual way in teaching. When we get to 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So it's like, hey, here's your physical state. You're strangers. You're scattered. Consider that in the spiritual realm, like Hebrews 11, 8 through 13. You're not citizens of this world. Your citizenship, your conversation, as Paul put it in Philippians 3.20, is in heaven from whence you look for the Lord. Live like that physically and spiritually. Even if you've grown up in the city that you are in and in which you are a Christian, don't live as a citizen of that city. Live as a citizen of the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's lessons within lessons here, too. As we're reading through this epistle, you want to keep in mind that they are strangers, non-citizens of the area in which they are dwelling, that they are in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, that they're not citizens of these areas. But here's a lesson within a lesson. Even though they're not citizens, they're still supposed to obey the laws where they live. When we come to 1 Peter 2, we read 11 and 12. If you read further, 13 through 17, submit yourselves to, to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that you with well-doing may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So see, this is important that we know they're, they're not just citizens and they haven't always been and won't always be where they're abiding right now. So as we're going through this epistle, relate the instructions that are given by to whom they're given. People that don't naturally belong to the area that they're living in. And there's, there's applications to think about. You remember when Paul was writing the Corinthians, he, he made a point in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 19 through 23. 
He says, though I be free from all men, yet I've made myself servant unto all that I might gain the more. Under the Jews, I became a Jew that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under law as under law that I might gain them that are under law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are weak, the gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. It's, hey, wherever you're living, do your best not to stand out for reasons that you shouldn't. Don't draw unnecessary attention to yourself, especially when you're facing persecution. That point of Romans 12, 18, if it be possible as much lying, live peaceably with all men, live that. Obey their laws. Obey their laws. As much as you can, be a citizen in behavior Act as they act. Don't do so to a sinful degree. But don't try to stand out and don't be rebellious against the laws that are there that aren't going to contradict the word of God. Again, Peter knows this. We ought to obey God rather than men principle. He taught it. Acts 5.29. Now, strangers who were scattered. This is interesting because as I was thinking about 1 Peter, I was thinking, huh, scattered, right? I don't know that I've given much thought to it prior to this. Whether I have or not, I don't recall. But it'd be pretty easy to say, oh, this must be the same people that James wrote to. Because James, uh, James 1.1 says, James, the servant of God, the Lord Jesus, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Well, you know, you, you could say, hey, they're scattered. These might be the same people. It's not, okay? It's not. And it's important that we draw this distinction because uh, textual integrity is going to require it. The applications are different in James than they are in 1 Peter. James, to the 12 tribes scattered, he's writing to Jewish Christians at a specific time that we can trace back to the second letter written to Theophilus, also known as the book of Acts. The first letter to Theophilus is also known as the book of Luke. You can see that in the first three verses of Luke and in Acts chapter 1. Excuse me. This has relevance, okay? The people James wrote to, Jewish Christians, notice what we learn in Acts 8, 1 through 4, and then Acts eleven nineteen. 19. Acts 8, 1 through 4, Saul, whom we also know as the Apostle Paul, was consenting unto his death. This is Stephen in the previous chapter. At that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, howling men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Uh, Acts eleven nineteen says, Now they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. That's huge, okay? That's huge. You got to see that because the Christians James was writing to, he was writing to people that were Jewish Christians that just stayed among Jewish people. 
This letter is not written to Jewish Christians, especially solely to Jewish Christians. In 1 Peter 2.10, Peter addresses them as people who, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. That doesn't apply to the Jews. They were the people of God. Okay, this has, again, some significant importance as we go on. Because these, being at least primarily Gentiles, there's going to be some things we talk about that are very important to draw that conclusion, to understand that point. Like when we talk about next week, the text we're going to talk about next week, it's very important. Why? Because they're going to be called the elect. Well, in the first century, and we'll talk about this uh, in, in, in next week's lesson, if all goes according to plan, the Jews, they didn't look at their Gentile brethren, like we saw in Galatians 2, 11 through 14 with Peter, as equals. They were more like mm, secondhand, maybe even lesser brethren, right? But that's not what God intended of the Gentiles. When we look at Romans chapter 9, and the book of Romans is great here, because the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is trying to get both Jew and Gentile Christians in Rome to understand that neither the Jew or the Gentile was better than the other. Both needed the Savior. Both have been brought into the family of God. Well, in Romans 9, 24 through 26, says, Even us, whom he had called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as he saith also in O.C., which is the book of Hosea, and I'll give you that reference momentarily. He says, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not my beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it said to them, ye are not my people, there they should be called the children of the living God. Hosea 2.23 is the reference where I will sow unto her and me the earth and will have mercy upon her that obtained mercy, and I will say to them, which were not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. This ties to 1 Peter 2.10. In times past were not a people, but now are the people of God. That's in reference to the Gentiles. In fact, the letter to the church in Ephesus gives us a lot of clarity. I plan on drawing back to the letter in Ephesus next week when we talk about the Gentiles being elect. It's huge that this point is made. It's made because our Lord, through the pen of Peter, doesn't want these Gentile Christians who are suffering persecution to feel like they are lesser citizens in the kingdom. But in the past, Ephesians 2, 11 through 17, about Gentiles, says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision of the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of the promise, having no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus you were sometimes afar off and made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law and commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God and one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to them that were nigh. The gospel to both Jew and Gentile. These people that Peter's addressing are not the same people that James addressed. Furthermore, 
During the time that the Jews were scattered in Acts 8 through Acts 11, text we were looking at, the, the apostles in Acts 8.1, you remember we read that, they were in Jerusalem. The time this letter is written, Peter is either in Babylon or was recently in Babylon. 1 Peter 5.13 says, The church that is at Babylon elected together with you saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. He's an elder, and that's multiple points there. He's an elder, very likely in Babylon, which means he wasn't in Jerusalem. He wasn't going back and forth all the time. We know he's an elder, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3, and that the elders had remained among the local flock that they were elders over. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3, that we're going to get to in the future, says the elders which are among you, I exhort whom also an elder, witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of ready mind, neither being as lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. He had to be among them. He had to be an example among them. It also shows us him being an elder, that he's not at the time of his failures like we read in Galatians 2, but has matured into a stable, steadfast brother in Christ. We know that because elders had qualifications. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and Titus 1, 5 through 9 give us qualifications. There's different details in both texts. Um, I'm going to uh, give you what was written to Timothy about the qualifications of the elders just to, to show you what Peter had accomplished at this time in his faith. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth good work. A bishop then must be blameless. So, so we're past Galatians 2, 11 through 17. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, not striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, patient, not a brawler, not covetousness, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children's subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how should he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. So he's mature. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall in the combination of the devil, like we've seen in Peter's past, right? Moreover, he must have a good report of them that are without, lest he fall in the reproach and the snare of the devil. So Peter has matured at the time he's written this letter because he's an elder. It's not Acts 8, 9, 10, 11 time. It's well beyond that. As we go through this epistle, though it's not the same as the saints that were scattered who were Jews, the thing they do have in common is persecution. 1 Peter 1, 6, wherein you great really rejoice, though now for a season of need be you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. In chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verses 12 and 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice and as much as your partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. They're suffering. They're going through a lot of different things. That's 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, as well as verse 19. Sorry I didn't give you when I read verse 19 that, that I dropped down. They're suffering persecution. Now imagine being scattered. You're not at home. You don't have the comforts of home. You're being chased by persecutors. What's it mean to get a letter from an apostle? And not just any apostle, but Peter, a pillar in the church. Not just any apostle, but Peter, who has suffered persecution himself. 
not just any apostle, but one who knows what failure and repentance looks like. How encouraging would it be? And how much need is that for you? In 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10, Peter writes to them saying, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren and in the world. But the God of all grace, who has called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Oh, Peter, thanks for writing this letter, right? Man, this is going to be an awesome study. Real quick, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, look them all up in Strong's Dictionary. They're said to be in Asia. We've read these terms if we've studied through the Bible, if we studied through the New Testament, because in Acts 2, we see in verses 5 through 9, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. When this was noise abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. They're all amazed and marveled, saying, One to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we are born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea. Now notice, and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. Three of the places where the brethren here have been scattered. People had come to Jerusalem from there. Is this them going back to the area that they know? I don't know. They were in Jerusalem, or could it just be people who went to those areas and have that in common? You know, the text doesn't tell us, so I'm not going to surmise. We've read about Galatia, multiple places. Obviously, the book of Galatians written to them, and, and we know things about Galatia. So I'm thinking... Pontus and Cappadocia, people left there and stayed in Jerusalem. I'm thinking Galatia, a congregation that was instructed to take collection for the saints, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, like Corinth was, but that also were so soon removed from the gospel of Christ unto a perverted gospel. With Galatia, we also know that men were sent there, or at least went there. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Demoth has forsaken me, Paul tells Timothy, Having loved this present world, is departed from Thessalonica. But Cretans went to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. So we know men went, went there. We don't know why, but we know that the church there, or the church is because Galatia is an area, there were multiple congregations, they weren't steadfast in the faith. So this isn't necessarily a good place to be scattered to, but it got away from whatever it is they're running from. Asia... Again, that we read about in 1 Peter 2, 9. Um, if you look at Strong's number 773, it's said to be the western shore. And when you look through the scriptures, there's a lot written about this area. There were people from there, like we read in Acts 2, 9, that stayed in Jerusalem to, and obeyed the gospel, heard the gospel uh, there that first time. We read about... Uh, People from Asia in Acts 6, 9 that disputed with, with Stephen. And Acts 16 and verse 6 says, this is speaking of Paul when he had a vision. He said, we had gone through Pergia in the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So this was an area 
that Paul, the Holy Spirit didn't let Paul go into at first. But then later, Acts 19.10, they continued by the space of two years. So all that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And we continue to read about Asia in Acts 19 and, and again in Acts chapter 20 and Acts chapter 21. Uh, in fact, in Acts 21, 27, when seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up the people and laid hands on him. There were enemies, enemies of Paul there. It wasn't that they were all receptive to the gospel. They'd all heard it. But man, they counted him as an enemy because he preached against idolatry and they wanted to kill him. Paul uh, had certain Jews from Asia uh, that followed after him, Acts 24, 18. And, and then when he was on his way to Rome as a prisoner, uh, they meant to sail by the coast of Asia, Acts 27 and verse 2. Paul writes of Asia in 2 Corinthians 1, 8. He said, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. Now here's something that is just staggering to think about. When he writes the second letter to Timothy and he mentions Asia, he says in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 15, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes, if I pronounce that correctly. These are also the churches of Asia that John wrote to, Revelation 1, 4 and 11. So you can see this wasn't necessarily a good area to have to run into. Right? I mean, yeah, when we read about uh, Asia, there were churches there, but the faithfulness was very much lacking. In Acts 16, 7, when it comes to Bithynia, Paul wanted to go there, but the Spirit didn't allow him to go there either. So, folks, it's not like these brethren were scattered into areas where they were going to be treated well and where the gospel was well received. Please keep that in mind as we read through this epistle. That's important details. That these people aren't in friendly territory. They are very much behind enemy lines, in the flesh, in an area that would be difficult to be a faithful Christian. Now, that's what I have to say about verse 1. I hope, I hope you got a lot of wealth of information from that and that you're looking forward to going forward. Next week, we're going to talk about these, these verses, you know, we're going to talk about verse 2, where Peter's writing to these strangers that are scattered, and we're going to talk about how they're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ that grace and peace were multiplied to them. We're going to talk about what that all means. And it's great. And again, you've got to remember some of what we covered today because it's significant that these are Gentiles. It is significant to recognize that they are among the elect and how important it is for them to recognize that. And we'll tie into the fact of Ephesus. Ephesus is an area in Asia and the Jews are persecuting Christians and then some quote-unquote Jewish Christians are persecuting Gentile Christians. This is a disastrous backdrop for where these brethren are and what they're going through. And it makes this epistle 
so necessary for them. And, and it's why we're going to get into right in the first chapter, the lively hope that they have through Jesus Christ. They need encouragement and the times that they face. Please keep that in mind as we're going to build upon these important principles in our study of what is going on in this epistle. I'm so glad that you've listened. Maybe you've got some questions. Maybe you've got some thoughts. Maybe you want to talk. Maybe you want to talk about what it takes to become a Christian. Maybe you have some Bible questions that aren't relative to this study. Listen, I'm game. Call me up. I want to help you. My phone number is area code 915 and then 525-5794. You can go to my website, www.wordsoftruth.net. You can contact me from there or you can email me, brian, B-R-I-A-N, at wordsoftruth.net. I want to be helpful to you. We can do things like use Skype and we can converse. You can see my face. We can get into the Bible. We can learn it. I can help you with it. Please, I implore you, let me help you so that eternal life may be in your future. I'm very thankful that you have listened. I hope you will tune back in Tuesday and then that you will continue to follow this study. I'm stoked. Man, this is going to be a great study. Thank you so much for listening. If, Lord willing, this world continues to exist and I continue to, to be alive and that time and chance can happen to us all, that the Lord's not manipulating time and chance. Who knows what will happen? But it's certainly my plan uh, to continue in this study. I hope you'll stay with me. Until then, I will say goodbye. Thank you so much for listening.